Pharmacy costs represent a quarter of most plans' total spend. What's driving that? And will the same innovation that's increased those costs ultimately bring costs down? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode is brought to you by MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions. Employee benefits, property and casualty, and financial professionals all rely on this affordable, easy-to-use, real-time search engine to find their target prospects in both large and small group markets. Visit www.myedge.biz for more information or click on the sponsor link at shiftshapersonline.com. On this episode, we're talking with Dr. Terry Baskin, a PharmD who's founder, president, and CEO of RX Results. And we've waited a long time to find exactly the right person to talk to about the ever-increasing portion of our overall spend, which is pharmacy. And, and Terry is certainly the right guy. Well, Terry, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. A little bit about your journey. How did you end up doing what you're doing? You know, I've been in pharmacy for quite some time now. Finished pharmacy school in the late 70s. I've owned three different community pharmacies in the past, worked at a tertiary care hospital, and somewhere along the way, I got involved in the managed care side of things. I was president of a PBM that we started here in Arkansas back in the late 80s and through the 90s, sold that to a company in New York that was a publicly traded PBM, and I served as chief operating officer of that company for four years and then chief marketing officer for another three. Came back to Arkansas in 2007 formed RX results and we're out there trying to make improvements for both the patient and the person paying the bill and that's our focus every day when we come to work. Well you certainly have a great background for our audience and, and we're going to learn a lot of stuff. Let's start here. We, we've done a couple of podcasts recently talking about reference-based pricing. On your side of the business you talk about evidence-based pharmacy benefits risk management. What is that and how does it take place in the marketplace? You know in this in the simplest form and there's two major components of that one is we do comparative studies with the University of Arkansas, and we're looking at choices that a prescriber has when they get ready to write a prescription. We look at those from a safety and efficacy standpoint. When we determine that two of these choices are what we call clinically indifferent, where they'll do the same thing for the patient, then we interject the lowest net cost of that. And then that becomes the preferred place that we would like the you know the patient to take that drug. The difference in that and the prevailing model is that currently when prescribers make choices, they're being greatly influenced by the people that make those pharmaceutical products. They make some really good products, but their marketing, whether it's direct-to-consumer advertising, detailing the physicians, or even the rebate contracts within a PBM, that's really how those drug choices are made today. We've built a model that bases those choices on evidence as opposed to the marketing by the person that makes the product. And so where the rubber meets the road, how does that affect, let's take it in, in steps, the payer, the member, or both of them? What we try to do is we identify things that we would like the patient to do for their benefit and their employer. 
and things that we would prefer they not do. We make it easy to get to the good choices and make it harder to get to the bad choices. So we use reference pricing to accomplish that. If these two drugs do the same thing clinically, and all the literature supports that, if one of them costs $150 and one of them costs $25, there's no reason for the patient or the plan to pay for the $150 product. So we use reference pricing so that the employer pays the same thing towards either of those choices. If somebody wants the $150 choice, they can have it, but they're going to pay the lion's share of that $150. What happens at the end of the day when consumers understand the choices and the relative cost of that, consumers will gravitate, if you will, to the optimal choice, the one that does the same thing that costs less. Reference pricing is used extensively today for things like knee replacements, hip replacements, and those types of things. We've just applied those same things to the pharmacy choices. You're very tied into the pharmacy community, and I know you've served in a variety of volunteer positions, and so you talk to folks in similar businesses all over the country. Is that becoming a more prevalent model today? You know, these these types of things are becoming talked about at a much greater extent than they ever have. And I believe what's caused that is some of the changes in healthcare reimbursement. You know, we all hear about the move from fee-for-service to a performance-driven model. Those types of things are, are shifting who's bearing the risk, principally to hospitals and physicians are bearing some risk that haven't historically done that. But that sh- shifting of the risk is not just for those two provider groups. It's all across the marketplace. And people are looking for new ways to do things that produce better outcomes. And I think that's a really good thing that's going on. As long as we should all, I I think we should all be held accountable to the outcomes that are produced. And those are cost outcomes. They're certainly quality measure performance. And also the the ease of the consumer dealing with this, that member experience is, is what it's frequently called, is also a very important consideration and important outcome. We have a lot of discussions on, on the medical side about benefit advisors looking at claims data in order to drive better plan designs and, and to advise their clients in a broader way. There's something called medication therapy management that I, I know is taking hold on the pharmacy side of the business. Can you talk a little bit about what that is for our audience and let them understand how that impacts the overall spend? Absolutely. You know, there are studies today that document the fact that, that we are spending roughly $290 billion a year in avoidable health care cost that's tied directly to some medication-related problem. It could be more poor medication adherence. You know, the physician has prescribed a particular drug and the patient's not taking it as prescribed. It may be a, an economic barrier. It may be, I don't like the way it makes me feel. I forgot to take it. Whatever the reason may be, patients aren't taking their medication properly about 40% of the time. So that's that's a big issue. There's also dynamic called a gap in care where somebody with a particular chronic condition needs to be on a particular kind of therapy and for whatever reason that's not been prescribed or it may have been prescribed earlier and they're not taking it anymore today. So those types of things are what we use and what the marketplace uses now within an MTM program where you look at the claims information you identify those quality issues, a duplicate therapy or a drug interaction or poor adherence or those types of things. And then that information is loaded into software. Those cases are pushed out to the pharmacist. And the pharmacist that is taking care of that patient then has a, a direct line of sight into 
this big picture that they may not have just in their pharmacy. So at that point, the pharmacist can talk to the patient, do a, a comprehensive medication review, and the patient leaves that encounter understanding what some of the issues that have been identified are. And there's an action plan that says, here's what we need to do to get you in a better place. And then there are you know, quarterly follow-ups on that. But the whole idea is to, is to get the patient equipped with information about their own health care. And the, the goal of this is to get the patient to engage in their health care and to be more responsible for their own health care. The MTM program supports the patient in, in that journey, if you will. So that's one of the ways that you're trying to drive. Because I know we talk a lot about adherence. And, and as you mentioned, what a huge problem that is. Is that the only new thing on the on the on the horizon that's that's helping with adherence, or are there other designs and motifs that are being used to help people adhere to medication regimens? There are a number of things that are being tried in this this regard because this is a case of we have a two hundred and ninety billion dollar problem, so we need some solutions. You know, sometimes in the marketplace you see somebody develop a product and then they go in search of a problem, and that's not the case here. But with medication adherence. Things like synchronization of your medications is a big thing that's producing some good results. So if someone that's on eight to 10 different chronic medications, if they get those filled at different times throughout the month, over time, it gets to be real confusing of when I got this filled and did I not get this one and when do I take it? So the synchronization programs are focused on getting all those prescriptions filled at the same time. And then you can have a very structured regimen of, you know, you have all of what you need. You, know, you take them as you're supposed to during that. And then they all end up needing to be refilled at the same time. And what the studies are showing is that the medication adherence improves dramatically just by having those synchronized as opposed to all over the board. And the patient is kind of being disjointed at that. So the synchronization programs, the MTM programs, those are examples of that. There are a lot of people addressing this from care management companies, the physician's offices, because those folks historically have not had any line of sight into patients' adherence rates. So there's a, with the technology today, there are a lot of people that have recognized this is a serious problem. And so there are multiple solutions being developed in the marketplace. Now a word from our sponsor, MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions. The MyEdge Small Group Prospecting Solution makes it fast and easy to find the qualified leads you need to grow your business. Who uses the MyEdge Small Group Prospecting Solution? Employee benefits brokers who need to find accurate eligible employee numbers and employer contact information. Property and casualty agents who need to know which employers are out of compliance with their fidelity bond and if they need to increase their bond coverage. Financial professionals who need to identify plan types asset size, high commissions, and fees. MyEdge enables you to search for employers with 120 benefit-eligible employees or fewer by geographic region, employer contribution, employee participation, industry segment, and more. Register for a free live webinar at www.myedge.biz to see how easy it is to find qualified small group leads. Or click the Sponsor button on the ShiftShapersOnline.com website. Let's shift gears a little bit and kind of broaden out. The last study that I saw, Terry, said that in 2012, the estimated spend on specialty pharmacy was around $87 billion. And I know there are a lot of folks and analysts who believe that that could quadruple by 2020 and and at that point represent over 9% of our total national spend. 
Can you talk a little bit about what's for our listeners, what is specialty pharmacy and some examples of why some fund it as pharmacy, some as medical, et cetera? Sure. You know, specialty pharmacy from a kind of high level, we would define that as a many of these drugs are biotech drugs. Uh, they are manufactured from you know, different processes and what a historical oral medication might be. Many of them are injectable drugs. In almost every case, they're extremely expensive products. There's some great therapeutic breakthroughs from a patient care standpoint. The average specialty prescription probably costs in the range of $3,500, whereas the average oral medication for a traditional medication is probably $85 or $90 today. So because of the cost of it and then the growth of the use of these products, today the specialty represents roughly 20% of a pharmacy budget. And there's a sense that over the next three to five years, that that's going to go to 50% of the pharmacy spend. And as you say, that will equate to you know, 9 or 10% of the total healthcare spend. So in specialty pharmacy, and I would say that there's a, an attitude or an approach that needs to be used where the total cost of treating a patient with this product, with the specialty drug, compared to the total cost of treating this patient without that specialty drug is what needs to be looked at. The market is frequently focused on these very high-cost drugs, and many of them will be you know, $60,000, or $100,000 a year, and certainly that's attracted a lot of attention. And that's a huge piece of the equation, but when you look at if this patient doesn't take this drug, do they end up with a transplant or a long-term hospitalization or rehab, whatever it might be? So I, we always try to encourage clients to look at the total cost and then determine you know, where that specialty therapy fits in. I imagine that some of that is being driven or at least exacerbated by baby boomers with multiple chronic conditions. What are the top three or four categories that you see being treated with these specialty meds? So if, if an advisor wanted to look at claims and try to advise a client, they could maybe zero in on these areas. Yeah, there's probably specialty drugs, roughly 20 categories today. Some people might characterize them a little bit differently, but it's somewhere in that range. And some of the big ones, oncology certainly probably leads the pack in terms of the most dollars being spent. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis is a big one. Hepatitis C is another very large expense category. And they're all growing very, very significantly. One of the keys that that I think employers need to consider is that they need to, as I say, look at the total cost to treat this. And when they try to manage those costs, the traditional tools of, you know, here's, here are two drugs that do the same thing and let's take the most cost effective. A lot of that doesn't apply to this because there's very few generic products or the term is biosimilar with the biotech drugs. There's not very many of them that have those available. So the way to manage this is to develop a protocol. And if in that protocol you have a series of questions that I would call appropriateness questions. These are things that need to be asked on the front end before a particular drug is selected. Have you tried other traditional therapies first? And what was the outcome of that? Have you done certain things or even used another specialty drug before you moved to this one? And you need to look at, at those types of things first. Then on an ongoing basis, there are patient education and patient management things that need to occur. You know, does the patient understand this nasty side effect profile of certain of these you know, types of drugs? If they understand that 
and have some solutions with how to deal with it, they're more apt to be adherent to their regimen. So there's ongoing things that need to be done. All of those appropriateness questions are wrapped up in this protocol. One of the things that I think the market is looking at, the asking of those appropriateness questions in many models separates that from someone that actually sells the product. Because if you have a $60,000 revenue opportunity here, it's a difficult thing to do to yourself to ask questions that may cost you that much revenue. So I think that's something that the market is looking at, that the appropriateness questions of the protocol application should be separated from the actual sale of the product. And I think that's a really key piece. The prevailing model today is that most of this specialty management is being done by the specialty pharmacies that sell the product. It doesn't make them bad people. I just think it builds in a potential conflict of interest that would be better to separate those two activities. That seems to make an awful lot of common sense. Now, taking it to the next step, it seems the brave new world is a, a new class of drugs we're just starting to hear a little bit about called genetically engineered drugs. And those are different than these specialty pharmacy drugs we've talked about so far, aren't they? they that's correct. You know, the genetically engineered drugs or the whole field of genomics and all that has to do with an individual patient's DNA and their genetic makeup. And the genetically engineered drugs, you'll hear terms like personalized medicine because it's matching up a specific drug and the dose of that drug to your individual DNA. All of us know that people are different. We all you know, have different responses. One side effect may not affect you know, 99% of the market. But if you're in that 1%, that's not a good choice for you. And all that's driven by your genetic makeup. So the genomics process is identifying your DNA map, and then it's pairing you up, like I say, with the best drug for you and the most precise dose. Some of that will also become some new delivery systems, and you hear about you know pellets that may be injected into your body that release the right quantity of drug to you, you know, over a consistent period of time, so you avoid the peaks and valleys and those kind of things. That whole genomic process and personalized medicine is. And I'll say this this is not something that's going to happen 25 years from now. It's happening today, and I think the prevalence of it's going to be very significant over the next, in that five to 10 year window, if you will. Those drugs have got to have astronomical costs. I mean, if, if, you, if, you, if you kind of take a deep breath when you hear about some of today's specialty pharmacy drugs, this has got to be a much bigger number, is it not? I would say that it certainly depends on the volume, you know, and, and technology is working in our favor. You know, even the early DNA testing of five years, 10 years ago for sure, but even five years ago, the cost of those were thousands of dollars. And today, the, the DNA testing and the, that gene mapping is talking about a few hundred dollars. So as more and more people start participating in this, those, those costs are going to come down. The cost of the individual drugs, if you look at replacing what we're spending on drugs today and those types of things, and getting or replacing those with one that's tailor-made for that individual, the cost will come down. I'm not going to say it's going to be cheap, but there again, to get out of our silos, so we're looking at the total healthcare cost. The cost of tailor-making this personalized medicine to an individual, we'll just say you have hypertension. If you can get one of these drugs that is more expensive, but you avoid the strokes and the cardiovascular issues and all those things that come up and the stress on your kidneys and all of the potential costs that are incorporated into the system today, you start eliminating those high-cost things 
your total equation is going to tip it very much in favor of doing that. And the big winner is the patient. So the patient that doesn't have to go through the downside of the stroke and the rehab and those types of things as well. So it's going to be changing. And I think it fundamentally, all of this points to an outcomes-driven system where we are paid for performance. We are, everybody is accountable, the provider, the employer, the patient. And I think the key to that is good information that's data-driven it's communicated well to that patient, well to the provider. It doesn't need to be onerous. It needs to be clear. But they need to understand here are the choices and here are the implications of those choices. All of that points to a, an outcomes-driven system. And it's my opinion that those models that, that do the best job of producing the best outcomes, and there again, it's cost and quality and ease of understanding, the models that produce the best outcomes are the models that the market is going to gravitate to. The models that are built with legacy ways of doing things, they'll, they'll just disappear because the marketplace is going to move to this performance-driven model. And I think all of these things that we've talked about are, are steps in that direction. Uh, that's a great place to leave our discussion for today, but uh, maybe we'll come back. And there's so much to discuss in the field, and it's changing so rapidly. Terry Baskin, PharmD, founder and president and CEO of RX Results. Terry, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with the Shift Shapers audience today. Dave, I appreciate being with you. The Shift Shapers podcast is a production of the Saltzman Group. We work with entrepreneurs, executives, and companies just like you to help shape the shifts in your business. To schedule a 20-minute call to learn more, visit our website at thesaltzmangroup.com or call me directly at 803-386-8005. I'd love to hear from you. And while you're on our site, you can also click the podcast tab for the entire catalog of Shift Shapers episodes and to access some really great special offers. Give me a call at 803-386-8005 and learn how to put the secrets of the Shift Shapers to work in your business. 